I'm excited for what God is going to do in the coming year. I mean, I, I don't know how we can sing that and not really sense, okay, the, the Lord is, is going to be at work that, you know, by, when we get to this point next year, I mean, I know there's, there's other people that we love who have been with us for a long time that aren't here this morning, okay, so that they're also included in this, but how it will be something special to know, you know, you guys all have, you get to be part of that foundation work, that work that says we have labored and learned what it is to have the right heart so we know what we get to have when other people come in. What do we get to share with others? What, what do we get to pass on? And so that is, that is kind of where I want to do a million things at once this morning. When we land the plane with Jonah today and kind of launch off into where we're going to go for uh, at least the next couple of months building up to Easter... Not that, uh, you know, I've already forgotten Christmas, I'm already building to Easter, but there is a, there is a, a fundamental foundation that we need to be on the same page of as long as God is going to keep building and growing this congregation, and we get to keep being a part of the work that the Lord is doing in, uh, in the community and around the world, which you know, we've, we've already kind of mentioned together, we feel like we're going to get to do a little bit more together this year as far as, you know, we're getting to be on mission a little bit more together than, than we were last year, which I'm excited for. And I know that there are people who listen to the sermons who don't attend the church, but this, I, I, I hope this is, this is for you guys today, okay? Because we are, we are going to get to see what is the next level in our foundation together. So... We are going to end Jonah, and it really, I don't know, I have loved this book, church. I, I have loved being reminded each week of how God looks at us when we are lost and broken in sin, and then the dual nature of, of that book is God telling his people, and have I not called you to do the same for, uh, for others? Have I not showed you, Israel, if this is how I looked at you, if this is how I still look at you, why would I not look at others the same way? Is, is it so hard for you to imagine that I would have the same heart towards all of my creation? So chapter 1, we saw what, what was God's heart, right? He meets our brokenness with reconciliation. Chapter 2, what's his call to action? We actually move from sin to God by repentance, uh, which you know, for us, having Christ, that repentance is through faith in Christ. And then you get to chapter 3. We talked about this on Christmas Eve. Um, that God's kind of offer to us, once we have repented, once our faith is within, is that he will walk with us, right? Change us into his image by di compassionate discipleship. And that's kind of what uh, Andrew built off of last week, which I went back and listened to his sermon um, I haven't even told him what I thought of his sermon yet. That's on my to-do list. Um, but I loved how it was a good close to the year, wasn't it? Just thinking on wherever our story is, our past, our present, our future, God's goodness and God's nature can transform whatever has happened in any of those seasons, right? That is, that's the hope of the gospel that we have. Um, but then when I hit Jonah 4 this week, I started realizing, you know, also, in light of the, the sermon I shared with you, I heard last week, just how much is that my reality? You know, how much am I living out of the overflow 
of God's heart for me to actually go do this for others. Because I know, look, most of us don't really, I'd say most of y'all don't hate anybody. We don't cognizantly walk around thinking like, man, I just, I do not want to be in the kingdom of heaven with that person. Right? Most of us don't have that kind of intense attitude towards others. But I think, church, there, there's an underlying question that I'm going to build, I'm going to introduce it to you now. And then we're going to circle back around to it at the end. But kind of embedded in all of this is why does God care? Why does God care if we go reach the lost, right? And I think, I think a, a better way to maybe put ourselves in that is to say, why does God need me to join him in this? Why, why does God want me to join him in his work of reaching the lost, right? We could talk about the heart that he does behind this. We could talk about how, how much God wants to reconcile creation, but until we really understand why God wants us to be with him in that work, th that's the piece for me, church, that I think helps it move from, from the head to the heart, right? Once we get where our place is at in the story, why God cares, if we're part of it, then I think we're going to be able to to minister a little bit more effectively, to start to see where God is at, to maybe move forwards in our faith a little bit. So I want to try to land there. But as we go through Jonah 4, here's, here's what I'm hoping is the encouragement to get us to that point, okay? What Jonah 4 is going to show us very simply is that God does not disqualify you from him because of your sin. There's one little nuance in there I will address later. But the big picture, God does not disqualify you. Separate, yes, sin separates us. Yes, sin requires redemption. Sin requires reconciliation, atonement, all of our big theology words, right? Sin needs those things. But sin does not disqualify you from being with God. So hear that. Then also hear, what does God offer us? He offers us himself because he made us, okay? Now let's, un let's unpack that as we move through our text. We're going to start with verse 10, where we landed on Christmas Eve, and we're going to read that, and then we're going to go into chapter 4 today. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger. You're bounding in steadfast love. You're relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city. He made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Father, we are grateful that um, just that you have been with us this past year. Father, the, the, the growth that has taken place in New River Fellowship from 2022 to 20, or 2023 throughout the whole year, um, man, Lord, to, to see how much your heart is being made real in us, to watch the different opportunities you have given us to get to start ministering in our community, Lord, just to see the doors you're putting before us that who knows which, which of them will open, but we're seeing a bunch of them that, that are there for 2024. Um, God, it's not an accident that we, we tried to close out our year saying, okay, Lord, if we're going to get to walk with you more, if we're going to get to see with you more, we have to see how you look at us in our brokenness. Father, I'm grateful for the book of Jonah. I have no doubt in my mind that this must have been at least one of the reasons why when, uh, when all the, the councils were working together, you, you, inspired, you know, inspired the book to be written, inspired it to be included in your canon, that there is a message for your people that we still needed to hear today, that that's why we still get to have this. And Father, I do ask that you would you know, help us see there, there is a difference, Lord, between how you handle sin and your judgment and your conviction and just us beating ourselves up needlessly where you are saying, child, we've already moved on from that. Lord, I know that, that you have great things in store for us, and I do not want New River Fellowship to miss any part of life with you. I do not want any of us. I don't want to miss out on you, Lord, this year. I mean, we, we're, we're excited. So show us where you are at in your word this morning and where, uh, where we can join you. In your name we pray, amen. So let, let's start with that first part. How do we get to the conclusion God does not disqualify us from him, from his life in general by our sin? Okay, let's, let's look at Jonah's reaction. Okay, we, we see verse 10 of chapter 3, God turns, he saw Nineveh repents. Right, which is the key. We talked about this last weekend in Jonah 2, right? Repentance, that they have now turned from their evil way. They have now turned toward the Lord. And as a result, God relents of the disaster he would do to them. Right? He said, I have promised a, a coming destruction for you that now will not happen because you have left your former ways. You've left your wicked, you've left your sin. We'll just say it like that. You've left your sin behind. You've now turned to me. And now we watch Jonah. And Jonah is exceedingly displeased and angry. Some of your translations may take it a step further. You, you can render the Hebrew as saying, Jonah, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Right? It's, it's very strong language to say what Jonah is feeling and thinking right now is very much not the heart of God. Okay, you could say it's the complete opposite. And Jonah finally reveals why did he run away from God at the very beginning. In chapter 1, he says, it's because I knew God, I knew you were going to do this. 
I knew you're gracious. I knew you're merciful. I knew you're slow to anger. You're bounding in steadfast love. I knew you resent. You'll relent. I knew you would forgive. I knew it. Which is kind of funny because we like God when he does all those things towards us, don't we? And yet here's Jonah saying, I knew you were going to extend the same thing to those people over there. How could you, God? And what Jonah's doing, this is not just a, a random list, okay? This is not a random list of characteristics that he's excited, you know, that, that he knew about God. He is quoting a passage from Exodus 34, which I believe I have it for you guys so you can see where Jonah's getting this from, okay? When God meets with Moses... He tells Moses, this is the part where he's put Moses in the rock, right? Because Moses, he's like, God, I want to know who you are. God says, I'm too holy for you to see me directly, Moses. But I'm going to stick you in this little crevice right here. I'm going to pass by you. And as he passes by Moses, he tells Moses his name. Okay, so this is God telling Moses who he is. Exodus 34, beginning in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay? So Jonah, John, if you go to the next slide... I believe I have, there you go. There's both of them back to back, right? Jonah is saying, God, I know these things about you. I have his name. He's telling God, I knew this is who you were, except do you see that one of them is missing? Do you see that Jonah, when he's telling God, this is who you are, he does not, he leaves out verse 7. He leaves out the part about how God keeps his steadfast love for thousands, that he forgives iniquity, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Essentially, he leaves out the part where he says God is both merciful and just. Now, real quick, if Jonah's a prophet, do you think he has just forgotten this Bible verse, right, that he's memorized so much? He's like, oh, I just, I, oh yeah, God, you're also these things. That's not Jonah. No, Jonah is making a statement when he says, God, I knew you were this. He leaves out the part about God being merciful and just because he is saying, God, if you can find a way to forgive Nineveh for what they've done, then you cannot call yourself merciful and just. God, there is no way. If you're going to pardon Nineveh for the wickedness that they've done, if you're going to let them off the hook, essentially, if you're, if you're not going to disqualify them from you because of what they've done, then you cannot call yourself merciful and just, God. What about your people who have not done the same things as Nineveh? God, there's no way you could call yourself just if you're extending the same offer to two very different groups of people. This is why Jonah gets so mad, he says in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. Which kind of sounds extreme, right? Until you get this background. Because in Jonah's mind, here's what Jonah is saying. What good is it? For me to try to live pleasing to God, if he's just going to extend the same grace to people who have no clue who he is or what he's doing. What good is it? God, I'd rather be dead than try to live for you if you're just going to offer the same grace to someone else. 
and here's where Jonah missed it. He has missed the heart of God's name. You listen to that last part, the part that he leaves out. Right after it says, who will by no means clear the guilty, says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And right before it, it says, keeping steadfast love for thousands. That, that translation is not the greatest because most have it keeping steadfast love for the, the thousandth generation. Right, Jonah is looking at this saying, God, how could you be merciful and just if you're going to both forgive and pardon and still punish sin and wickedness? In fact, it's kind of helpful for you and me, guys, that, that that's how Jonah is reading this because that is how, that's most likely how you and I tend to read this. The, uh, the ancient Eastern culture that this text would have actually gone to is going to hear it a little bit different. They're going to read this and say, wow, God's heart is so much more bent towards being gracious that he promises he'll do that for a thousand generations, but he's only punishing to the third and the fourth. It's kind of like God's way of saying, look, I'm God. Do you not think I have established what is right and what is wrong? Do you not think I care when, when wrongness, when sin, when brokenness rears its ugly head and destroys what I have made? Do you not think that I care? I for sure I'm going to take care of sin. I'm God. I'm going to handle sin, right? God says to the third and fourth generation, I'm I'm handling it. But to the thousandth generation, what am I going to do? I'm extending my steadfast love. I'm extending my forgiveness. I'm extending my pardon. He says, make no mistake, my heart and judgment, I will deal with sin, but my heart is for reconciliation, not just punishment. And I love, then he goes back, God knows that Jonah has missed this, and so he turns around in verse 4 and says, well, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? We're going to see that question come up again in verse 9, but essentially, Jonah's doing what we sometimes do. He's got you could call righteous anger stirred up within him. That Jonah is saying, God, man, it should, you should be just as mad, if not more so than me. Don't you see what's happening? Perfect example of this. Pretty much any time I drive on 81, some of you probably have the same experience. Do, doesn't the righteous anger within you boil? When somebody goes flying by you, if they can find room to fly by you, because I know there's a lot of trucks out there. But you watch, it doesn't have to be any 81, it could be anywhere in town. Somebody flies right by you speeding, and the first thing that goes through mind, what? I can't believe they're choosing to do that. What happens if they get an accident and somebody else gets hurt? They're innocent people. What are you doing? Is there really anywhere you could be going that is that important? God, do you not see? Can you please? How come there's never a state trooper right around the corner when that person goes? You start getting into this, this righteous, right? I'm right. I'm not speeding. Or in my case, I'm not speeding as much as them. Because if they're flying by me going 15, I, I probably am going five over. They're not going to pull me over going five over, right? That, that, that is the anger. That's the mentality that Jonah has, right? This kind of like, I should be right to be angry at this. And God says, well, do you really, though? 
Are, are you really right to be mad, Jonah? Che- check your heart. See what you've missed, right? That, yeah, I'm going to handle that brokenness. It's going to catch up with them at some point. Don't you worry about that. I am still God. As a, as a fun little aside, there's this, uh, this safety theory we teach at Blacksburg Transit called uh, Heinrich's 329-1 principle. And it's a lot of traffic data they analyze that says for every 300 minor mistakes you make while driving. So anytime you're, you're driving, your phone beeps and you look, take your eyes off the road to look down at your phone. Or uh, you go, ah, it's a stop sign. There's nobody around. I'm just going to round the corner, keep on going. For every one of those 300 minor mistakes, you'll eventually make 29 not as minor mistakes. You might rear end somebody. You might back into something. And then for every 29 of those, there's going to be one, one major, like, multi-car pileup fatality type thing. So I can, <laughs> I can almost hear God saying, you, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm aware, I am well aware of, of what they're do, going to do, of why they're speeding, of how much they're speeding. I'm very well aware. I got it covered, okay? I'm going to punish to the third and fourth, but I'm showing steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiveness to the thousandth. Right? It's, it's as if God is telling Jonah, look, I, even that is not going to mean, oh, well, now, you know what? You're right. You sped 15 over on 81. Guess you cannot be a follower of Christ now. Right? Guess this means you're right. You have now said, nope, there is no way for you to receive my forgiveness at this point. Right? You have hit the limit to where you are no longer useful for the kingdom. You have now been disqualified from my life. God says that, that is not the case. Sin will, does not disqualify from you. Yes, it does separate. Yes, it does require redemption. Yes, it does require a sacrifice. But it does not disqualify you from him. And this is what God kind of fleshes out in the final interaction of what does he do instead? Because we got Jonah's response. What does God's response look like in verses 5 through 8? All the way, well, all the way down through 11. Okay. God, rather than disqualifying us and saying, well, this, you've now hit the point. You can't do this anymore. He offers us himself. Why? Not because of what we've done. Right? We, we're not earning our salvation here. He offers us himself because he made us. You guys have probably heard me say because we were made in his image. Same thing here, okay? So Jonah, verse 5, he leaves the city. He goes to the east. He sits down. He builds himself a little shelter, and he's going to watch and see what happens, okay? Now this is not saying this didn't literally happen, but this is deeply symbolic. Because whenever you're in the Old Testament and something's coming out of the east or something is like scorching down on top, it's usually a picture of judgment. So when Jonah is going to the east of the city and he's building something to keep his head covered, what he's essentially saying is, okay, God, I'm still waiting for your judgment to go on Nineveh. I know it's coming, right? If you're really, he's already thrown down the gauntlet. God, if you're really merciful and just there is no way you would allow Nineveh you would never allow Nineveh to thrive and accept their forgiveness because of what they've done to your people he says oh no God I'm going to watch your judgment happen and you know what God's judgment does come church 
we see verse 6, God appoints a plant, it's exceedingly glad, um, Jonah, it's covered his head. We see verse, verse 8, the sun rose, God appoints a scorching east wind, the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, right? God's judgment comes in those two little pictures there. But on who? It's not on Nineveh. It comes on Jonah. Which is kind of odd. Why is it on Jonah? We're going to flesh this out a little bit. See, God brings Jonah first, this plant, to be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. It makes Jonah exceedingly glad. This is all verse 6. It's the first and the only thing we're told that Jonah is exceedingly glad about in this book. Jonah's had a pretty, pretty bad attitude this entire time. Okay, he's glad now because apparently the plan is way better than whatever booth he built. Right? The image of covering someone's head, protecting them from the wind. Right? This is all basically God telling Jonah, hey, look, look at what I'm able to do. I'm able to shield you from my judgment. In fact, he, he's covering him, and, and the word there, it, it sounds weird to us in English to save him from his discomfort. Discomfort's not a very good translation. That word there is ra, which is the same word that means sin, wickedness, evil, all throughout the Old Testament. So God's basically saying, Jonah, I'm capable of, uh, of covering you from sin, right? I'm capable of shielding you from sin. In fact, Jonah, you're part of my people, right? Have I not done this from you? But then verse 7, he takes the plant away. And so now Jonah is feeling the weight of God's judgment on him. And does Jonah like it? No, the second time, Jonah says in verse 8, God, it's better for me to die than to live. And it's almost like God is saying, uh-huh, right? That's what it feels like when you don't have have uh, my salvation covering you? Why would you wish that on Nineveh? Right? Jonah, you are feeling how crushing and overwhelming it is to try to stand in my presence because of sin. Why would you wish that on anyone? Why are you standing here, jo Jonah? You are telling me you care so much about this plant that you feel so bad for the life of this plant and yet you have no problem seeing my judgment poured out on an entire city something's not right church something is not right in jonah's heart because god ends verse 10 verse 11 kind of the in case you missed it part with nineveh he says you pity that plant you did not labor you did not labor and not labor in the sense of Building with your hands, labor in the sense of childbirth. God says, Jonah, just as much as I made you in my image, so I have also made every single one of those people in Nineveh equally in my image. I labored. I gave birth to them. They are part of my creation. Jonah, you did nothing for that plant. You see them, but yet you can still turn around and see Nineveh as wicked. Jonah, you did not make the plant grow. You did absolutely nothing for it. Do you know what I have done to walk with Nineveh even though they have no clue who I am? No clue. Do you not know how much I have been with those wicked people in the midst of their wickedness? Jonah, that plant lasted one night and already you're ready to die for that plant out of your righteous anger for a plant. I know some of you love plants, but I don't know anyone that's saying I would rather die so that my ficus could thrive. 
Hugh, you could tell me if ficus is actually a plant. I'm pretty sure it is. I, I so badly want my ficus to live that I would be willing to die. And God says, <laughs> what about for an entire city of people who bear my image? What about for an entire group of people that bear my likeness? You, you, you can't even get up your heart for that, Jonah. You pair this with how God introduced himself to Moses, right? We see this, church. God says, I will handle sin. You do not have to sit there and worry about whether I'm going to handle what brokenness has done. Because God tells Jonah, I've done that for you. Jonah, you, you might say it's not as bad as that, but Jonah, you know your brokenness. You know your struggles. You know the things that should have separated you from my life, and yet here you are with me, Jonah. Aren't you? Aren't you with me, Jonah? Would it be so crazy to imagine, Jonah, that that's my heart for all of my creation? Jonah, what, what I have in store for you, Jonah, is more than just sitting around saying, but look at Jonah. What if you were a part of helping them come to know me? I mean, you keep thinking, look, there's an entire city of people that have just come to know the Lord. I, I, feel, I would hope most of us would be praising God and saying, now I want to go work with those people to help them know what that looks like, right? Because if they've just come to know God, they're going to have to now work through. We, remember in Leviticus, we talked about one of the sacrifices God gave to his people was to say, hey, now that you're with me, we got to work to undo everything sin has done, right? Like my righteousness, if it's going to come into your life, we now got to work through all the broken bits, some of you might have felt that really strongly in 2023. Man, I felt like you were bringing out all my broken bits, Lord. God says, yes, because if you're with me, we have this thing called sanctification. I'm working with you. Jonah has this opportunity to go be that for Nineveh, and he turns it down. Now, there is one passage of Scripture, and this is going to feel like a, a total rabbit trail, but I promise you it's not. They're related. There is a Scripture in the New Testament that talks about something called the blasphemy of the Spirit, right? And this thing being some sort of unforgivable sin. Because there's everything in us that say, but God, there still feels like there should be something that should disqualify me from life with you. And just as Jonah is kind of fixated on that to the point where he misses out on the opportunity to lead an entire city 120,000 people to actually learn to walk in God, Jesus is going to throw this back on the Pharisees a couple generations later. I'm not going to read the entire passage because it's about 40-some verses long, but John, I believe I put it on a slide so you can kind of see what happens in Matthew 12, building up to the point where Jesus talks about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit being an unforgivable sin. Okay, Jesus starts... The first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 12, you see he delivers a man by casting out demons. Everybody's amazed and they're wondering, hey, is, is this actually the Messiah? This clearly looks like something God would do. And the Pharisees, though, you've got everybody right there saying, hey, is this guy of God? We, we might be able to learn something. Like, could you, could you tell us more? Is this of God? And the Pharisees, what do they do? They try to discredit Jesus' miracle, verse 24 tells us, that they basically are going around telling everybody, well, psh, you'd have to be of the devil to drive out demons. 
If it's of, he must be of Satan if he's able to talk with such authority to Satan. Jesus fires back in verses 25 through 27. He points out how this kind of contradicts their own ability to cast out demons. He says, well, if your sons are able to kind of do the same thing, then uh, what are you guys also of, of the devil? But then he basically says, but you know what, more, more than that, because you guys are looking at what God is doing in its face and trying to discredit it, trying to say, no, there's no way that can be of God. He says, that, that is the blasphemy of the Spirit. You are stubbornly refusing to acknowledge Jesus, to acknowledge God for who he is. So, of course, you're going to miss out. Of course, you are not going to receive his salvation. And it's, it's fascinating, church, because right after he does this, he points back to this story for the exact same point. He says, let me, because let me tell you, Pharisees, what have you missed? The men of Nineveh will rise up with the rest of this generation, and they will judge it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. He says, no, Nineveh, even wicked Nineveh, was not disqualified from my life because they were ready. They repented. They wanted to work with me. So they were not disqualified, even though what they had done clearly should have. God offered them life because he made them, and they received it because of their repentance. It's the same connection to Jonah, church. God delivered Nineveh, not because they deserved it, but because they bore his image. And yet here's Jonah saying, God, there's no way you could be God if you're going to do that. Same thing as the Pharisees. Both people say, how can you be God if you do this? And God lays out the same heart in both cases. Jesus charges the Pharisees for a wicked heart that says, there's no way that can be God. I'm not giving myself to that. And now here Jonah tells, or Jonah is being shown by God, this is a heart that is submitted to my spirit. Here's how you will look at others. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Church, I wanted to start 2024 with this, because some of you need to remember that that is how God looks toward you. right? Regardless of whatever has been done in your past, right? those things do not disqualify you from God's life now. Of course, the appropriate measure is in place as we have been talking all throughout Jonah. This is why we have repentance. This is why we have our faith in Christ. You are not disqualified from God's life. But I want to go back to that underlying question. Why does God need me? Why does God want me to work to reach the lost? Why is his desire through me? And church, I want to take a, a quick 3,000, 30,000, 30,000 foot view of scripture to kind of show you what God has always been about. Because Jonah, the entire book of Jonah, as we're wrapping this up, church, the entire book of Jonah fits in perfectly, right? Because we see, we see in all of scripture, do we not, sin separates us from God. But God made us to be with him. 
But because there's this separation that we, we see all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, right? Unholiness cannot be in the presence of holiness. Sin has permanently separated us from God, right? Something has to happen to cover our sin, to cover the head, to bring us back into right relationship with God, the, the fancy word is reconcile, that you've heard me use. Something has to be used to fix that gap, to close that gap. And church, God's solution throughout all of scripture has always been people. God has always used people. Even in the moments when he doesn't use people, church, it's almost like he's saying, well, none of the people will do it. And so I'll work but it's only going to be temporary because what I've really desired is to work through people. You think about Noah, right? When, when the world was lost in wickedness, what does God do? He goes to Noah. He says, I'm going to raise you up as someone who's going to preserve my creation. Noah does so. And then what happens after the flood, right? Noah's family now gets to be the ones who essentially kind of restart everything, right? Right? God worked through people. He says, now you, my people, you're going to now branch out and show the rest of the world what it looks like to live for me. Noah's family doesn't do it. So God waits some time, and then he comes back, and he finds Abraham, right? Finds Abraham and says, I'm going to set you aside to be a family. And Abraham, I'm going to grow you so that your family is so big you'll become a nation, which is where we get Israel, Right? Abraham, Israel, you are my chosen people, my family, my nation to reflect me to the rest of the world. But then, then does Israel stick with it? They say, God, we want, a, we want what? We want a king. We want, we, we want a, a system. We, we, we need an institution just like everybody else, right? God, that's, everybody else has got a king. Everybody else has got a, a ruling authority. God, we need that. God gives it to them. Sometimes the kings were good, sometimes the kings were not so good. Somewhere in, in there, you later on down the line, you get Moses. I'm, I'm getting my, my timeline a little bit mixed up, but it's because I'm now speaking more off of memory than off my notes. But you get Moses, right? God raises up Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt because, hey, a king did not work out so well. And then they, they get to wander in the desert because they, they don't want... Moses, they don't want God. The prophets and the leaders of, well, before you get to the prophets, you got the temple leadership, right? There, there's always been people. God has always used people. Why? Because at the end of the day, church, who, I mean, think about this, who in your life has been the best example of what Christ has been for someone else? Was it something, a, a a, either a, a teaching or a command or a law or a system or an institution that kept you. No, it was a person. Someone shared with you what the gospel was and someone or hopefully multiple people walked with you to show you what that looks like. God's plan. He knows us, church. He knows how he has wired us. It's always been about people. That's why God shows up in the prophets and says, look, none of this is working because you don't want any of this. You refuse to be my people. You refuse to let me be your God. So I'm going to bring someone to come later. Guess what? It's a person. 
we have Messiah Jesus Christ who we celebrated at Christmas. God says the fulfillment of my reconciliation plan comes in Christ, the God with us, the Emmanuel, the God made man. And then what does Jesus tell us, church, about how God desires to continue this work, right? After Jesus comes, everybody's expecting him to be the new king, to make a new kingdom, to get the people physically out. And what does Jesus do? He dies. That is a terrible plan if you're going to be a king building a kingdom. Except what does he do when he comes back? What does he tell his disciples? Go and make disciples. People. Why is this a big deal, church? Why does it matter? Why does God want to use you and me to be a part of reaching the lost? Because he has always worked his redemption through people. And what had, the problem with the Pharisees was they refused to be a part of that work because they did not see what God's heart was about. Jonah, Jonah did not want to be part of God's work because he could not see what God's heart was about. And what happens, church, when we make our faith about something else? about our preferences or about being selective and who we grant the love and the service towards. Because when we let things keep us from God's life, what happens? Serious enough to say someone else's eternity would be at stake, would it not? That the Pharisees kept people from Jesus. Jonah is not walking with Nineveh to help them see Jesus. I mean, George, it gets to the point where this is why we get the, the impassioned plea of Paul in a passage I know some of you are familiar with, but this is how Paul says, I cannot help myself, but the love of Christ controls me. 2 Corinthians 5.14, it controls me because we've concluded this. One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised So Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Jonah, there is nothing in the flesh that Nineveh has done that will keep them from God. Even though we once, that's me, that's me adding that in there. But that's what Paul is getting at. Verse 16, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And what gave us, gave the church, gave followers of Christ, gave you and I the ministry of reconciliation. Not just to your pastor, not just to those elect in the church, not just to those people who are really good at their faith. Gave to you and me the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, in the God-man, in the Emmanuel, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us again the message of reconciliation. Therefore, Paul is writing this to a church. He's saying when you guys have forgotten your purpose, other people's eternity is at stake because you have forgotten who you were made to be. Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Church, that is who you and I are. Like, like specifically, I mean in general, but this group of people here, right, who have, who have given their lives to Christ, who have been saying there's, there's something about Jesus and his life that I want, and I want to worship and learn how to do this with this body. This is who we are. We are, we are ministers of reconciliation. We are a people who have been forgiven, and we are a people who are now ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. Church, I do not, I, I could never imagine something worse as your pastor than us kind of falling into Jonah's trap. Where, where we just start saying, you know what, because of this, it doesn't even have to be those people over there. Just because of something in me, I, I, I can't do this anymore. That I'm no longer valuable. I no longer have anything left to contribute. Because church, when, when, we, when we say that, when we believe that about ourselves, we forget God brings his reconciliation through people. Through people. If, if you are still here today, he's not done with you. He is not done with you. In fact, there is a lot more in store that we get to have. And so I want to, I know sometimes I give you specific things to pray over. I, I just want you today to be reminded of who you are in Christ and why that matters towards God's work for the world, okay? Let me pray for you. And then let me give you a little bit of a roadmap for where we're going to go from here today. Father, you are the life-giving God. God, quicken us to call upon thy name. For our minds are ignorant, our thoughts are vagrant, our affections are earthly, our hearts are often unbelieving, and only thy spirit can help my infirmities. God, we approach thee as father and as friend, our portion forever, our exceeding joy, our strength of heart. God, we declare today we believe in thee as the God of nature, the ordainer of providence, the sender of Jesus, who is our Savior. Father, our guilty fears discourage us to approach thee. They tell us we do not belong with thee, that we could not be used by thee. But I praise thee for the blessed news that Jesus reconciles thee to me. May the truth that is in him illuminate in me all that is dark, and in doing so, establish in us all that is wavering, comfort us in all that is wretched, accomplish in us all that is of thy goodness, and glorify in us the name of Jesus. Father, I pass through a veil of tears, but bless thee for opening the gate of glory at its end. Father, enable us to realize that you're here with us. Prepare us for every part of our pilgrimage. Uphold our steps by your word. Let no iniquity, let no sin dominate us. Father, teach us that Christ cannot be the way if I am the end. That he cannot be the redeemer if I am my own savior. That there can be no true union with him while the creature has my heart. Father, may my faith either accept him as redeemer and Lord or not at all. God, we know 
that you are going to work in us. We know that, that we have our brokenness. We know what sin has done with us. God, we know that you have promised if you're going to redeem us, you're going to work through all of that. So it's going to be, there are going to be hard moments. And Lord, yeah, we, we might not get to experience everything as fully as we could because we're going to have to work with you because we know there's bits and pieces of our stories in our past that, that, that might keep us, that have kept us from you for periods of time. But Father, just as Andrew was talking last week about how your goodness and your nature can redeem our past, our present, and our future, just as you're telling Jonah that you've not disqualified us when we are in you. Father, may we step up confidently into the life you have. Because God, we do not want to think about what our community, what our world, what our families, what our spouses, what our kids, what our lives, we do not want to think about <laughs> what happens if we don't. Who else's eternity would be impacted if we're just going to live muddled on, beating ourselves up, because of what's happened or arguing with ourselves over things that ultimately to you don't really matter. We want to step up into your life, Lord. It is in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing just kind of, you know, singing as a way to teach our souls to respond to him. And then we're going to take communion together. Guys, because communion is one of those things we do together to remind us of everything we just talked about, okay? So we'll sing, and then we'll...